Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Delighted to be back after after uh, missing yesterday's brilliant show, one of the best that's ever been done. So I feel like I'm a little extraneous. Uh, Noah and Abe uh, holding forth with Eli Lake and Eliana Johnson on the uh, momentous results of the Tuesday uh primaries um it was a great show and congratulations to you guys these news guys meaning executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john and associate editor and author of the rise of the new puritans noah rothman hi noah hi john and joining us today it is my honor uh, <laughs> i think the second second time but um a podcast stan but we are a stan of hers <laughs> megan mccain hi megan Hi, J-Pod. I'm always going to call you that because I love your nickname, but thank you so much for having me back on. I love the podcast. I'm, I think I'm the biggest super fan and I'm just so happy to be back and I love everyone's work and I subscribe to the magazine and I do all the things. So I'm just so happy to be back talking to you. Well, you're my hero. And as it turns out, <laughs> we, we arranged this last week. We did not know last week that, uh, all of American politics uh, today to uh, Thursday, August 4th, was going to center on your home state of Arizona because we have two yeah. different things going on at once. Number one, we obviously have the results of the uh, primaries and the still uh, out, uh, not, not yet fully determined results uh, in the Republican race for governor, but, um, you know, sort of betting money is on Carrie Lake, the MAGA candidate uh, par excellence, uh, probably pulling it out and um, facing Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. Is that her or Attorney yeah. General? Whatever. OK, anyway, in, in, in November. And that's number one. So we need to talk about that and what's going on in Arizona. And the, number two is that the um, build Biden back <laughs> from death bill. Uh, now comes down uh, to Senator Cinema of Arizona, the uh, heterodox in almost every sense of the word Democrat, um, who has yet to announce her support for the legislation. We're getting bits and pieces of leaks about what it is that she wants in order to secure her support. She would be the the key 50th vote that then uh vice president harris would come in and then break the tie and the bill would pass and there would be uh no uh climate problem ever again uh in human history uh uh and it's the most important bill ever because a president is at 38 percent and his party is facing a tsunami and this is one way that they could possibly reverse that so let's talk about Arizona. Um, it has become a, a kind of eccentric state in the sense that it is, I think, the most suburban state in the United States. If you calculate by who, where the population is based, it's like something like 75% of the population of the state of Arizona lives in what would technically be classified as um uh, a suburb, and so suburbanites seem to have common features uh, demographically and economically, and in terms of their perspective on issues, not 
because they're sort of homeowners and business people and we sort of responsible citizens and all of that, they tend to not sort of like really dwell uh, in the fever swamps and in the extremes. And yet you have the Republican Party. And, and of course, Arizona is a state that has a Republican governor, but now has two Democratic senators, Cinema and Mark Kelly, who was up for re-election. So it's a purple state. Uh, and the Republican Party, which was once dominated by your uh, heroic late father, uh, John McCain, and until 2018, was represented by... Jeff Flake, the budgetarily conservative guy who ran a think tank on, on you know, sort of responsible budgeting and all of that, uh, basically getting run out of Washington because he was uh, stood in opposition to, 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 to Donald Trump and Trump kind of uh, went after him so hard that Flake didn't even run for reelection. And then that seat was lost to a Democrat. Um, so uh, the, the Republican Party results are that the, the MAGA, the Trump, the election denying, the conspiratorial thinking uh, aspect of the Republican Party seems to have completely, or almost completely, since we don't really have the gubernatorial result, carried the day. And uh, it's just brain melting to think that five years ago your father was there jeff flake was there uh governor ducey was there or did he win in 2018 i can't remember they were this was who was running the republican party and there were some you know extremists going at them kelly ward and others but and now the party is basically Maybe the most MAGA, the state party is now maybe the most MAGA party in in the country. So can you give us a fill? Sure. I mean, everything you just said is 100% pinpoint accurate. I was actually just home for almost a month uh, with my husband and my daughter, and I was visiting family, and we spent like half the time in Phoenix and Scottsdale, and then half the time in Sedona, where my family has a ranch. And... I said, and this is a little crude, like crass for this podcast, because you all are very erudite and intelligent. Um, I said to my husband, the vibe shifting here, I can feel it like the vibes off. There were a lot, a lot of MAGA signs. Let's go Brandon signs, stop the steal things that are more vulgar that I want to say on your podcast in really nice suburban areas of Scottsdale, Cave Creek, Phoenix. And then obviously when I went to Sedona, it wasn't in necessarily so much in Sedona because Sedona is like a really weird hippie liberal enclave, but outside in like Cornville and Cottonwood and Clarkdale, all places I went to when we went out to dinner and went to a 4th of July parade. I mean, MAGA country in a way that I hadn't even seen right after the election. And I remember telling my husband, because we have been considering moving back to Arizona for a little while, that this just feels like a different place politically. And again, it's just, this is all anecdotal stuff, but sometimes the best um, political insights you can get is just being in a place for a while. And there, it was just absolutely everywhere. And I have one of my best friends from middle school who I adore, um, spent some time with us and her kids. She lives in Phoenix, never left. 
And she one night had like a few whiskeys and was like, if it weren't for you, I really like Carrie Lake, but I can't, you know, vote for her because she attacks, she's attacked me personally. She's attacked my brother, Jimmy personally, who had a friendship with her, him and his wife had a friendship with her for a long time, attack my mother, attack my father. Like her favorite thing to do is to attack members of my family. And it's been very weird to see this evolution of the state. Like you said, where there are like Jeff Flake is like a very nice, humble Mormon man who really cares about the budget. I was like, I think at one point he was considered like one of the most fiscally conservative Congress people in office. And to see this evolution has been both daunting and depressing for me. I'm also getting like the living crap beat out of me on social media by MAGA people and Carrie Lake people who are like trolling pictures of my daughter on Instagram saying Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake, which I never understand being nasty and success. And like, you're probably, she's more than likely going to win. I mean, and has won. Um, I will say the bench in Arizona is garbage. And it's one of the failings I think of my, dad who did not expect to die when he did. My grandmother died when she was almost 109. And I think he expected to live quite as long. And he was reelected right before he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so he didn't really have any protégés in the state and he didn't really work on having a bench. And as a result in his death, Kelly Ward, who you mentioned, who people wouldn't know this person outside of um, Arizona politics, but she ran against my dad and lost, like got her ass beat. And then she became the head of the uh, GOP in Arizona. She's a leader and it's just really transformed into a MAGA place. But the candidates that ran against Carrie Lake were mediocre at best. The woman who ran against her is a woman named Karen Robeson, Karen Taylor Robeson. She's much older. She's like almost 70. She's married to a extremely wealthy, but I think a 90, 90 year old or around 90 year old man, which was a talking point for Carrie Lake. And if you watch the Arizona debate, which went viral on social media, people are just make it's ridiculous. It's like a really bad Saturday night live sketch. So I kept wondering because this is a close race, what would have happened with like a really formidable, strong conservative candidate? And then I'm almost done because I'm going on a little rant. But at the same time, Good, you're seeing, go ahead. thank you, Blake Masters, who is a Peter Thiel funded super MAGA candidate. Right, also, so he's the Republican. He will be the he's running against Mark Kelly now. He he won the primary by 15 points and is running against Mark Kelly in the general election for for this crucial Senate seat. Yes. And Mark Kelly, who is the famous astronaut married to Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who was, you know, shot in the head. 10 years ago in this horrific tragedy and is a really beloved figure in Arizona. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens because you have the most, you have the most mag, I would argue the most MAGA conspiratorial QAnon adjacent candidates in America running against Democrats. And I think that Katie Hobbs, who's running as the Democrat, I am told and just by people in Arizona that she is modeling herself after cinema as a sort of a very moderate I can represent all of you Republican candidate and Senator Cinema is extremely popular in Arizona right now. So I think it's going to be a blueprint for what happens in 2024. If it's just going to how MAGA candidates can last. And at the same time, I want to see if J.D. Vance can pull it off. I want to see if Dr. Oz can pull it off. It doesn't look like he can. Herschel Walker, people who have the ultimate blessing from Trump 
how long does this go? But Arizona is weird. There's a lot of libertarians. There's a lot of independents. There's a lot of normal Republicans, like Republicans, like the four of us on this podcast. Um, so I'll be very curious. I think it's a sort of like a Petri dish and a beta test for what the rest of politics moving into the general presidential election is going to look like. You um, mentioned Kelly Ward, who is the chairman of the Republican Party in the state of Arizona, <clears throat> and this hideous ghoul of a human being hideous. Uh, decided hideous decided to go on television and say that the um, results of Tuesday's primaries were the culmination of this is a quote. It was a culmination and it was the exorcism of John McCain from our state and our country. Um, hideous as that sentiment is, it does seem to be the central animating purpose of the modern Republican Party in Arizona. One thing that John McCain could do that um, seems that the MAGA candidates can't do is win a statewide race. I don't know, <laughs> maybe they can get uh, Martha McSally to run a third time and lose hideously. Um, but, but she tried to put on this MAGA face. It wasn't a bad fit for her. I don't think it was a natural fit for her, but they seem to want somebody who's far more authentic. You see all these MAGA signs around. You think that's the, the populism of the state is leaning in the direction of MAGA. But what about the general electorate? And you can talk about how these Democratic figures are beloved in this state. Uh, is there a gen an appetite among the Arizona general electorate for, for this sort of thing, even to the point where they'll put aside their concerns over their perhaps their excess excesses in pursuit of the mega agenda and just vote them in because inflation is bad, gas prices are bad, that sort of thing. Are they just damaged? Are they damaged by the primary irreparably? That's my instinct. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see how much care because Carrie Lake, if anyone, I don't know how much people are paying it. I think people see her because she's become sort of a national fringe figure, but I think she's going to bring Blake Masters down. My, again, my dad won a while ago now, and he's been, you know, his past almost four years and a few weeks actually. But as you said, he won seven elections uh, in his entire career. He governed for over almost 35 years and he won. He was extremely popular. The, I think the least he ever won by was like 14 points, like an extremely popular figure. So I don't understand the 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 disrespect, the desecration, um, you know, obviously on a personal level, it's extremely emotionally taxing for my family and I'm sick of it. But I don't understand it because, you know, Carrie Lake's got to prove that she can pull this off. And as far as I'm concerned, she's just a two-bit, has-been ex-local news anchor who picked up a bunch of QAnon talking points and started vomiting it up everywhere. And sadly, it has worked, which I also think is a referendum on the left. The my, you know, again, this is just anecdotal stuff about me being home, but people really are scared about the economy. People really are scared about the future. They do not feel heard at all about. Um, you know, culture issues in DC. They do not feel like Biden's representing them. The anger towards President Biden is, I mean, I, I have been shocked. I'm highly disappointed and I did not vote for Trump or Biden, which I know some people think is a cop out, but that's my own choice to just write people until I can get a candidate I can get behind. But I have been shocked at the visceral anger towards President Biden from people, you know, friends, family, and people that I know socially in Arizona about how much they, I mean, hate, hate him in a way that, that that should scare people in DC. Cause you know, it, there's one thing to be apathetic. It's another thing to, to proudly have a let's go Brandon bumper sticker on your car. I, one of the, one of, oh, Abe, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just want to, to Noah's point about <clears throat> the ability to win state statewide elections. Um, Strikes me that these that the that the most eccentric 
uh, MAGA candidates, and that's who we're talking about here, will not even dream of tacking to the center or of toning down um, their shtick. Um, I think that's that's part of the sort of revolution they think they're they're heralding here, right? Is that that they're not going to play? That's it. That's just a game that that they're not going to play. That's been played too long. That that's that's it been seems part like, of the big con. It seems like Lake is more capable of that than Master. Uh, yeah, um, Masters Blake Masters because she's she's a chameleon anyway. Uh, she doesn't believe half the things she says. So at least she didn't believe them three years ago. Um, but Masters uh, is an ideologue. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I think I think she she has gone so extreme that there, there there's nowhere for her to go except to go for base intensity and hope that this emotion toward Biden is so depressing to democratic turnout that she comes in that way. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I will offer a certain grudging respect to the um, MAGA forces that um, believe, whatever they are in some ways they're not phony so they're not they're not putting this clothing on and then doing what Mitt Romney said in 2012 or what Mitt Romney's um consultant uh, whose name I can't huh Stuart not Stevens, Stuart Stevens it was another guy no. who said well you Eric know it's like Fernstrom. etch a sketch what Eric Fernstrom Eric Fernstrom, right. It's an extra, extra sketch. You know, we run this way in the primary and then we shake it up and then we draw a new picture in the general. And and that is something that people find proper appropriately find contemptible. And if Carrie Lake gets the nomination and has run as this person through August 2nd, um, she should run the same way till November 8th and see what See what happens. I mean, um, elections are very clarifying events. That's more, even if it's not like what happened on Tuesday in Kansas is a, was a very important event because it it said you guys can talk and blather all you want about what the what the consequences were going to be of the Dobbs decision of the Supreme Court, but simply by happenstance, guess what? Two months after the decision comes down or six weeks after the decision comes down, the electorate of a given state is going to make itself heard. And all of our pontificating and all that has to fall by the wayside for a result that is actually what this is all about. So now the parties have to scramble to try to understand the Kansas result, right? Is it does this suggest that there is a pent up democratic, you know, populist surge that's going to come because uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned? Or do you need to be careful and qualified? This was a brilliantly managed campaign, the no campaign that did not really focus on abortion. It focused on the idea of revising the state constitution to interfere with personal choice they sort of stayed away from abortion to some extent. So if you think in a state where there isn't going to be such an up or down vote or something like that, voters are just going to turn out to vote against somebody who says they're, you know, pro-life, but isn't really sort of like, it isn't the center of their existence. Maybe you're overthinking it, or maybe you're not. Maybe in fact, this is the sign that mm -hmm. something very big 
has happened and that, you know, you politics is unpredictable. But I mean, I just sort of thank I, I thank God in this sense. There's one way in which no matter how unnerving the results can be, and I know, Abe, you're particularly unnerved by the results, <laughs> November will be a clarifying moment for the Republican Party and for on, on, on a lot of these issues. If there is a mixed result, for example, in the Senate races, if Herschel Walker goes down, but J.D. Vance wins, but Oz goes down and Blake Masters goes down, but there are some unexpected victories like, uh, you know, Tiffany Smiley in Washington State, I don't know, something like that. Then you can say MAGA is not a winner, like it's a winner in your party, but it may not be a winner in the general election, or they'll run the table and it'll be, sorry, it's Trump's party, this is the way it is. Uh, they got a wave, so they're being swept in, and they all the efforts of liberals and the media and everything like that could not stop it from happening. So in this sense, the genius of the Dobbs decision or the genius of the American system has made itself manifest, which is you want to know what to do about abortion? Let's ask the voters. How about we ask the voters what to do about abortion? And it quiets things down. This is the oddity about what, what's going to happen in Kansas. It quiets things down rather than roils them up. I mean, now there'll be ideas about putting new things on the ballot, about other kinds of emendations or this or that or the other thing. And then it becomes part of the politi ongoing political process, and it becomes a matter of suasion and, 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 and showing people. And then that, that, I think, is the real question in Arizona between now and November, which is... There is this MAGA movement that says it's Trump. The election was rigged. Uh, there are these conspiracies all over the place, blah, 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 blah. Can this view really take over the levers of power in, a, in an individual state in the United States? It hasn't really happened yet. And it hasn't been like the ish, the thing that will happen in the election. And if it happens, then we will be in a new reality in which you know, I, I mean, in which this is a real thing or it won't happen. Mm -hmm. And Mark Kelly will win and Katie Hobbs will win and whoever is running for secretary of state against this and lunatic will win. And then and then it'll be like you went too far. Obviously, this all went too far. This is a state in which all those offices should probably have been won by a Republican and they weren't. So. Thank God for elections is what I'm saying because they ruin cop they ruin podcasts. <laughs> I I still I say thank God. <laughs> I still say thank God for elections too. I mean, this is the question that is I'm obsessed with right now is is this state completely reanimated and reformed as the most conspiratorial MAGA whatever, QAnon adjacent. And I say QAnon adjacent because the man who literally is QAnon ran for Congress and law, just lost his primary in Prescott. Um, his name's Ken, I think. Um, and, you know, the what's fascinating right now is it's almost like there's a lot of people in the base, like a Kelly Ward, who would rather lose and prove a point, which is very a very strange thing to do because, you know, I think you should run for an election to try and win. Um, but Arizona, the one thing I will say about Arizona that I've been trying to explain to some of my friends in the media, because obviously everyone's asking me about this, is Arizona really likes unique, I would go so far as to say eccentric politicians 
in a lot of different forms. My dad was a unique eccentric politician, Barry Goldwater, Hyde. I mean, there's a long history in Arizona and a lot of different places of very, you know, not to like, you know, mavericky, you know, look at Kristen Cinema. She's a, arguably the most unique politician in America. And I think that Carrie Lake is kind of boring in that sense. Like she's a local news anchor with a bad haircut who picked up a bunch of talking points. So I don't know how much that crosses over to independence. And at the same time, Arizona's had a huge, huge population boom because of so many people leaving California and moving there. I mean, I think we gained three congressional seats and California like lost four. So there's a bunch of people, I assume if you're moving from California, you're probably not, I mean, I can't stereotype, I don't know, but I would assume if you're moving to Maricopa County and Phoenix and Scottsdale working in tech, you're probably not MAGA. So I'll be interested to see if she can reach out to those people as well. And I expect not. Uh, Abe, you uh, told us yesterday that um, uh, your your you have your 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 total despair has returned. Yeah, can you uh, update twenty four hours? Crushing morosity despair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, um, it's still quite total. It's um, it's not so much really a a direct result of of. of, of the primary results. I mean, it sort of is, but it really kind of came from something that, that, that happened on the podcast yesterday, which I think applies to, to with something I said that I had, that I thought about that I think applies to everyone we're talking about here, um, which is that I realized that, I mean, I'm just, I don't want to just reiterate what happened on the podcast yesterday, but, but Eli had said, you know, that there's this frustration among conservatives who, um, they're sick of being told, yeah, you can't say this, you can't think that, you can't think. So there's a sort of um, kind of destructive um, impulse to just throw in with with whatever the crazy lot is saying and doing because they at least um, speak to your need to to be able to speak your mind and to sort of not obey the rules. And then I, I had said that, well, the problem with that is that saying the unsayable then sort of becomes redefined as truth speaking. So all these people who get championed for sort of breaking the, the establishment, political establishment, social conventions and saying things you can't say, then veer off into, you know, the Jewish space lasers and, and everything else. And that gets swept right in along with, with, um, the sort of perhaps somewhat righteous um, uh, statements that 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 need to be said, but that have been um, tamped down on, and that's the sort of runaway phenomenon that I that that I think we're we're dealing with here, and it's it's depressing. But I'll say this about in terms of elections, and if they lose, the thing about MAGA and the danger they pose to the to the country and our system, and the, if they lose politically, they're out. It's not like the radical left. They can lose politically and they can stay in our lives in a billion mm-hmm. other ways. They're, they got the media, they have the, the, the academy, they have the, the institutions, they have this. So um, it, as you say, it will be very clarifying to, to, to see where this goes. Well, well, you know, it's one of the agonies of living in the kind of system that we live in, that uh, people are forced to make these, are often forced to make these horrible binary choices. And Republicans... 
uh, and Democrats alike, although Democrats are probably it's easier for them, but um, Republicans are going are, are going to be in the position now of having to make these, you know, or voters, independent voters, maybe even more importantly, are going to be put in the position of having to vote for. Uh, let's let's just get, take an example. So uh, JD Vance. So JD Vance, who's probably going to win, but let's say so JD Vance, you know just says some really repulsive stuff in uh, 18, 19, and 20, a complete revision of his brand as the kind of uh, sober, you know, kid who saved his life by going into the military, going to Yale, but, you know, remaining understanding of the virtues and the vices of his, of his, uh, you know, upbringing by his hillbilly grandparents. Um, But like, just says, noxious gross things but you're probably gonna like if you're a certain type of conservative you're probably gonna like more of his stands on issues than you're gonna like tim ryan's stand on issues and on the other hand tim ryan seems like a much more sort of i'm not gonna say jd vance who's written for commentary is not a decent person but you know it seems like a much more rhetorically responsible person (laughs) let's say and you're gonna be in this position where you go in the ballot box and you're gonna have to pull the lever for one one or the other person and um we're gonna know some very important things about the united states come november in a way that we knew we learned in 2010 after the midterms in 2010 and that Obama and the Democrats simply refused to learn. And they just, what they took it as was that they were being put in the position by the midterm elections of not being able to get what they wanted because the Republicans were all crazy and weren't, didn't want to do all these wonderful things. And so they would have to do them unilaterally all of which only accelerated the very forces the the very forces that led to the 2010 midterm shellacking in the first place uh did not hear the voice of the people and the voice of the people got more extreme as a result or a voice of a, enough people that they who should who could have been reasoned with or could have you know didn't have to decide after voting in 2010 that by 2016 they needed this you know, they needed this incendiary force to blow things up, both in the Republican Party and nationally, because they had spoken as loudly as they possibly could, and the Barack Obama and the liberal establishment wouldn't wouldn't hear them. Um, Megan, you, uh, as somebody who has now t- retreated uh, from a very, you know, serious perch in in the mm-hmm. high and high level uh mainstream media um can you give, can you give us a, a picture maybe of what you think uh let's say it's wednesday morning uh on uh 66th street uh, sure. uh where they where, where they where they where they i guess they're back in person on the view i don't know but how joyous was the Kansas result for those people? I mean, I'm sure they're celebrating. Um, I think, you know, I am in such a weird position because I was on this 
you know, show that a lot of people know and a lot of people watch, even though a lot less people watch since I left, but whatever. Um, and uh, oh, you can look at the numbers. I um, believe you. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm one of two hosts in the history of 25 years to leave on their own and quit and not be fired, um, which is something people are just very interested in. And, you know, I've talked a lot about my reasons for leaving. And part of it was just, I am not a MAGA person by far. I think anyone who um, takes a shot at President Trump during a eulogy should never be accused of being attached to that. But no matter what, I there is no nuance in mainstream media and any the any news place I've worked and I've worked at many different news outlets between Marjorie Taylor Greene and me. It's the same. We're the same person. There's no no such thing as a good conservative and a good Republican. And I think it really, I understand on a visceral level because I myself have felt it before why people have gotten to the place they've gotten to. When you have a media and networks who just seem to hate you, to hate what you believe, to hate where you're from, and to think you're just like an ignorant redneck from no place that has nothing to offer, who's destroying the country, of course, after a long period of time, and you know, 2010 was 12 years ago, you're going to be repulsed by it and you're not going to trust it anymore. And I think when you're talking about how we got here and history repeating itself and making mistakes, I didn't vote for President Biden, but I did naively believe that he would be some kind of palate cleanser for the country. I did think that he would turn the volume down and the energy down because that's what he said. He kept saying, I'm going to heal the soul of the country and vote for me because things are going to be okay. And one of the main things that sticks out in my head is that if I'm against, you know, voting, uh, you know, voting stuff in Georgia, what did he say? Like you're a you're, he compared you to a slave owner or racist slave owners. Jim Crow 2.0. Jim Crow yeah. 2.0, yeah. How much and of that, I'm sorry, Megan, oh, no, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I just wanted to ask you how much you think that's a genuine impulse. There's no, there's no good Republicans in the post-Trump era thing. Is that, or, is that a genuine belief or a rationalization? I ask only because in the wake of Pete Mayer's loss, Meyer, Meyer, it's Pete Meyer. Peter Meyer, uh, yeah, but it's Peter, Right, yes, I've been, we've been repeatedly informed that we're blowing this on a consistent basis. Um, so hit in the wake of his loss, you know, this whole, well, he was a Republican too, right? And the vote, this is what the voters want. And the Republican party is irreparably tainted. This strikes me primarily because it's coming from uh, the, the post-Trump right that abandoned the right, um, uh, the attacks on him uh, as a rationalization, because it's in part, we can't know how much, but it is in part due to democratic efforts to boost his his MAGA opponent. And mm-hmm. now the party that you've invested all this emotional energy in as the sole savior of democracy has put its partisan interests first. So you have to rationalize yourself into accepting that as some noble impulse. Well, that that situation in particular is fascinating because they the Democrats dumped like four hundred thousand dollars, if not more of the DCC uh, but DCCC, excuse yeah. me, um, put same could I be think, said for Doug Mastriano, a whole host of candidates. It's been an effective strategy, but they're punishing people who voted for impeachment. So the message is screw you. If you're a Republican who goes out on a ledge, comes out against Trump, there is no political benefit to it. I mean, look at Liz Cheney, who I personally am a very big fan of. Um, 
And then I think you see, but what also, again, not to make this so nuanced and complicated, but what I also see is sometimes never Trumpers. And I would use Adam Kinzinger as an example, who, who sent one of the most disgusting tweets at me and my husband last a few days ago that I've ever received, um, calling me MAGA. And again, if you are a never Trumper to the point that also all Republicans are MAGA, I don't understand how there can be no intellectual honesty and nuance with all of these, all of these people, because I find myself like I detest the Lincoln project as much as I do the squad. Cause I think it's all a radicalization of, of things that shouldn't be radicalized. And I also think there's a lot of money and publicity to be made in a, what is I think a grift and a racket on the squad's part and the Lincoln project's part. And that's a, complicated answer, but if you're Peter Meyer, Meyer, I don't know how to say his last name, M-E-I-J-E-R is how you spell his last name. Um, you know, what's the message that you're going to lose if you, if you don't, if you take any kind of risk and the media loves you because Democrats will just shiv you in the end. I, um, uh, I don't think it's a rationalization, Noah. I think that the, and you know, again, like, I, I don't think this is, inarguable i mean like or the i i don't think that the thing i'm about to uh, try to summarize isn't an arguable point their point is the republican party has become a revolutionary irredentist party that wants to um rewrite the rules of american democracy that challenges the legitimacy of american democracy and that is uh threatening to the future of the of of the united states and it has captured the republican party and therefore any defeat of any republican serves the larger purpose of stopping this revolution in its tracks so that if you're even if you're anti-bolshevik if you're a menshevik you're still a vic and you need to go to say you know it's it there and like I say, I don't think that that's the logic of that is is behind almost all the talk about the Republican, the danger of what has happened to the Republican Party. And I submit to you guys that so I'm allergic to this kind of hysteria. Mm-hmm. I find it repulsive. But, you know. If everybody, if, if if all those people win in Arizona, if 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 the MAGA forces run the table in November, in part because of a wave, it's I I don't know that it's going to be that easy to say something very potentially dangerous has happened here. Um, it would be a little like if the SDS, uh, you know, took over the Democratic Party. It really didn't in 1972. But if if in 1972, you know, the weathermen were writing the platform of the of the of the Democratic Party. I mean, it was bad enough that it was McGovern. Hey, but when Democrats do that or liberals do that, when they lump every conservative of every stripe together as this one supreme danger to the country. It has a self-fulfilling quality. It will drive a good number of non-radical conservatives over to the radical side because the idea is like, you hate me that much? You don't mm-hmm. see me at all? I'm, I'm, I am just uh, an abomination to you? 
Well, then the hell with you. I'm with these guys. You, you already treat me like I'm with these guys. So here we go. So if they cared about this violent distortion to our politics, they would stop contributing to it. Well, that's the problem is that there's no they. Like there are plenty of people who don't have that attitude. And then there are people who have that attitude. And then there are people who say, okay, look, you know what? That's really not what you just said is really not in this. You know, it's important that we we understand that people have not everyone's the same and blah, blah, blah. And then you have the oh, cut the crap. All right. We got to win. You know, it's 50.1 percent, you know, 50, 50 percent plus one vote wins us the election. If I need that one vote to be the result of us saying that every Republican is terrible or whatever, I'm getting that one vote. Then we'll 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 sort it all out later. But until then, my purpose is to win an election and I'll say whatever I have to say and do whatever to do to 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 do that. Um so it's like it, you know, if you're the DCCC and you have a four or five seat majority and you know you're you're doing Hail Mary plays to say that you know okay we know really going to lose in november and be in the minority but maybe you can do something miraculous and stave that off you're going to do it you'll do whatever it takes that's also part of politics but Uh, our side isn't like pious and sanctimonious about it in the way that theirs is you know there's i mean the amount we interviewed i remember when i was on the view we any never Trumper is like, you know, catnip for the media and held on a pedestal and anyone who comes out against Trump, which, you know, justifiably so in a lot of ways and sometimes not, but just, you know, I like people who take a stand against Trump too, but you can't call them heroes who are saving the Republic and, and just, you know, slobber all over yourself about them and give them awards. And then at the same time, you know, take out with money, their people just like her, their, their, you know, disciples and the people that are, that are, modeling themselves in their image and that's what i find the most hypocritical about the left is like they're just so full of it they love you in the moment as long as you are useful to them for the 15 minutes for a sound bite but when push comes to shove they hate you as much as the far right hates you know them and they'll do anything and it doesn't really matter if you're a republican against trump because peter meyer is just like marjorie taylor green to the dccc who was more than happy to dump a lot of money on him and ruin his political career I'm so upset about that race. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Let me uh, let me pull back for a second and talk to you about our friends at the Good Faith Effort podcast hosted by historian, rabbi and pop culture aficionado Ari Lam. This podcast, you can get on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. It's fantastic because it traces and explains and connects the mysterious, fascinating and thick ways in which the Bible has played an important role in American society from the founding era until today. Politics, pop culture, economics, understanding the dynamics of the relations between people, that's something you get from the Bible. It's something you get from the understanding of how biblical ideas, biblical authorities, and biblical trends have affected American society. Um, You can hear a historian explain how the Talmud played a decisive role during the English Civil War as the 
political philosophy de developed that Cromwell used. Legendary hip-hop exec talk about how Abraham in the book of Genesis helps him see Run DMC in a new light. One of the world's leading tech investors explaining how the prophet Isaiah informs her work with startup founders. So look, go subscribe to the Good Faith Effort podcast with Ari Lamb. Listen to the inspirational, fun, crazy conversations about the Bible's surprising role in Western society you won't hear anywhere else. Um, so Megan, let, 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 let's delve a little deeper into your, into your retreat from, from the view. Um, sure. um, so this is a fantastic perch. Like this is a perch. This is a, you know, this is a show. It's now what, I mean, it's a, it, it reinvented daytime television, um, helped kill off the soap opera um, <laughs> because it, it itself is a soap opera, sort of. It's yeah. kind of like a talk show soap opera. And um, uh, and it gave you a real, not only a voice, but sort of like a, you know, it's it's like the kind of thing people, you know, die to have. And as you say, it's not like, the turnover is because people get sick and move on. Like the turnover happens because they're like, nah, you go beat it. Scram. <laughs> yeah. And you quit. Mm -hmm. So what was so awful that made you quit? Is There's that something you're comfortable talking about? Okay. Yeah, there were a lot. I mean, everyone's always curious about this, which I understand because I'm curious about, you know, people's experiences in weird, bizarre places. Um, yeah, talk to I, no and Abe. It's, uh, it's crazy. Here. <laughs> I'm sure the commentary drama in the office is just as entertaining and just as dramatic. Um, look, I went in in good faith. Um, I actually took the job. I didn't want to take the job. My dad basically forced me when he was sick because he thought it would be like, you know, you said a great iconic job. And the first few seasons were fine. Um, there are no Republicans that work on the entire show, not one. And I wouldn't even see, say center right. I wouldn't say anything really left of Bernie Sanders, the entire show, all of it. Like, uh, that's not, I'm sorry, that's inaccurate. There's a few crew members who uh, work on, who were uh, quietly always would come up to me, like people who did audio and set design um, that were from Long Island. But when it comes to like production, I actually ended up poaching one of your former writers, Daniela Greenbaum, my third season to be my producer, because it became such an issue that I couldn't be produced by um, someone who just didn't, you know, didn't understand my political beliefs. And then the culture of the show is one that is not that I wouldn't send. I would not. I have a young daughter. If she in 15 years came to me and said, the view wants to come and have me host there, I would lie in front of a train track before I let her go to that show. Like that's how it was a very egregious, toxic work environment. Um, I could not get a bagel at the craft service table without there being some story about me being a psycho crazy person on page six or some gossip site. It happened almost daily. It took a real toll. And then um, I had a really bad miscarriage. Um, all miscarriages are bad, but I had a very uh, graphic one when um, I was literally having my photo taken for the cover of New York Times Magazine with the co-hosts. And um, I was so scared they were going to leak that I had a miscarriage on it. And I went, I remember hysterically crying with my hair and makeup people and calling my mom and just feeling like I had no life and no privacy. I had a miscarriage. 
I ended up writing about it for the New York Times because I was so worried someone else was going to tell the story for me. I wasn't quite ready to talk about it yet, but I did it. Then a few months, not a few months, like a month later, one of my co-hosts made a joke that on air on camera that the only thing I would ever breastfeed was a cactus. Um, any woman who's gone through any fertility things knows that it's very private. It's very scary. I have had two miscarriages. Um, I have a beautiful daughter. I'm almost 38. I really thought I would have like five kids by now. I have not had the same journey that some of my girlfriends have had. Um, and uh when I had, I finally got pregnant it was during the um, pandemic and my husband, who you guys know, I was so thrilled and happy as any mother was. And it was a really scary time to be pregnant. I was isolated, blah, blah, blah. And then I came back to the show. It was really hard for me to come back to the show because I was in the hospital with postnatal preeclampsia um, after I gave birth, which is very dangerous. You can die from it. And I was on a magnesium drip and I just like physically had a hard time like walking and this very humbling experience. My family had to like help me eat and shower. And then I finally went back to the show. And uh, the day I went back to the show, Joy Behar said on air, uh, nobody missed you. Uh, we didn't miss you. Don't You shouldn't have come back. And I just, I started hysterically crying and sorry, gentlemen, I know like male, I started lactating on air and like crying and hysterical and super hormonal. And um, I went to my office and I vomited and I called my brother who lives in, who lives in Cornville, Arizona on a farm. And he said, F these people is not worth it. It's not no longer worth it. And that was it. When Joyce said on air after I had, when I came back from maternity leave, nobody missed you. I didn't feel supported when I had my baby and I didn't feel supported coming back. And that was ultimately it. So that was why I left. <laughs> it's a sad story. I'm so sorry. I have an uh, incredible story. Thank you for telling me. I'm so it. sorry <laughs> to depress everyone. I've I been talking many... about it. I have so many things I could say that I will will not will will not say. Um, but uh, it, it's a sad story, and it's uncomfortable for people to hear. It's very intense, and I'm so sorry. And I have my no, life no, 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 no. I mean, um, it is important. I mean, I think your story here in the is it is a it's a sort of synecdoche of everything that we're talking about, which is that uh, you worked with people who dehumanized you because they don't agree with you on politics and who therefore thought that it was an acceptable thing to abuse to be you, monsters to, to abuse you on air because you are not deserving of I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a startling, startling story. And um, when people are always, I mean, I was making more money than I could have fathomed not to be gauche and speak of money. It was, I felt so famous. I couldn't really go anywhere in New York and I was the most miserable I've ever been. And I felt like I had just gone through so much tragedy with my dad dying publicly and we were so close and all the, the trauma of the Trump years in this like weird way. And then all this stuff with my fertility. And I just felt like for me in COVID, I really, really understood what life was for. Cause there was a period of time that I was like kind of convinced that I could die of COVID. I mean, remember the early days when it was so scary mm -hmm. and I just, people think it's weird. Like people think it's very weird that I left. People don't understand it. But I think if you do it every day, 
I am so happy right now. Um, I will tell you guys something when we're done recording that will like put like no, I don't, I'm not ready to talk about it publicly, but like I I feel so happy every day and I get to do the work I want. I'm working I work for the Daily Mail, which is a news tabloid, I know, but they give me complete creative freedom. Some other projects I'm working on that I can't talk about yet, which I'm so excited about. And I work with people who I respect. Some of them are on the hard left. And I think that. I do think because they have they have announced that I have a new replacement on the view. I do think that there is an I do hope that the next people are treated differently. I hope that there's an understanding that the culture and media has changed. And look, I'm tough. I'm feisty. I can like throw down with the best of people and talk crap like I if you can just Google all the clips like I'm really tough and strong. And I if you feed it to me, I'll feed it to you back. But it just got exhausting. And I think I had seen women, um, two of my co-hosts had babies on the show and they got like baby showers and it was like flowers and as all women should have. And it was like, Megan had a baby. It's a pain in the ass because she did it during the election and she came back and like the show was way better when she wasn't here. And I just would never, there's, if AOC had a baby around me, I would never treat her that way and I can't stand her. And so I do think it was hard for people for whatever reason to see me as a having any vulnerability in any anything. And look, I know it's a weird thing to do. My age, trust me, when I told my agent I wanted to quit, he was like, are you kidding me with this right now? Like, why you have such a, you know, it's such a big show. It's such a big whatever. But um, I don't know, I did it for four years. And then it was really when it started impacting, like I said, like, I didn't want my my daughter, weirdly, my daughter, my nanny and my mother were taking care of my daughter. The first day I went back to work and the second day, I'm sorry, the first day I went back to work was the, was the insurrection. And then the second day was when Joy said that, or no, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. It was the fourth, day. the insurrection in that incident happened like within a day of each other. But um, my mom and my nanny were, they sent me a picture of like holding my daughter, watching me. And they said they had to turn it off after Joy yelled at me just because they like, didn't want a little baby. <laughs> watching that and i felt like it would be it's still going to be so weird to explain this point in my life to my child but would you want your daughter to stay in an environment like that no, no i think no making? no i mean the interesting thing here i think is is that uh people take it for the reasons that I enumerated at the beginning, you know, you've got a big perch, a great show, you're making a lot of money, you're famous, you're, and really, is it worth it? And you decided it wasn't worth it. Like people, 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 people will, you know, if you, if you have the luxury of being able to walk away from something that is that toxic, that is a, great thing and it's kind of a noble thing in some ways because because you are sacrificing something real you're sacrificing influence you're sacrificing money and you're sacrificing or something much more important your own satisfaction and well-being yeah because ultimately, ultimately this doesn't matter i mean we've experienced this on a much much smaller scale you need a, an electron microscope to examine our experiences next to yours nevertheless People who consume entertainment, politics as entertainment for a living, become miserable people. It's they not really fun. Do. It's not fun. It's psychologically damaging. Well, There's I think, also, that, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. I think being a thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure all of you have been on TV and in media, you know, forever, um, being on television every day is a very addictive drug. 
and fame is a drug. And if you don't have the right kind of baseline of values and people keeping yourself in check, it can become, you know, something that you can't let go of. And I find it interesting people who are in their eighties and beyond like the Andrea Mitchells that, you know, when I'm 80, I better be like having martinis by the pool with like a bunch of grandkids. Like I, I better not be on TV every day talking about this stuff. No offense. And I don't understand the addiction of it, that there's nothing else in your life that fulfills whatever space in our hearts and our souls that hopefully, you know, God and family and whatever else should fill. Um, I also think I benefited from the fact that my dad was so famous and so iconic, uh, like, you know, once in a generation that I had already seen so much of so much. It wasn't as impressive, like working with Whoopi Goldberg's great, like she's an iconic actress, but my dad was an iconic man. Like, okay. You know, so I didn't have the sort of starstruckness that a lot of people have with the show in a lot of ways. And I still think, you know, it, I just think that media really corrupts people in a lot of ways. And that, and then there's some great people, like there's some people who aren't like that, but I would say like the generalization more than the, than the outlier is that people have to do it every day. And that you have to, if there's, they feel a value being on TV every day that they don't have when they're off. I talked to many ex hosts that reached out to me after I quit. And I mean, one of them said to me, it's going to take you a year to move on from this. That was not my experience. Rosie O'Donnell, I talked to, and she had a horrible experience and told me it wasn't as fun as it should be. Jenny McCarthy is borderline scarred from the experience. The, the normal, like there's an entire book written about it. Like my experience is, is the norm more so than the, there's a few hosts that had a great time. Meredith Vieira, I know did, um, Sherry Shepard, I think says that she does, but you know, there's a lot more ugly, sad stories and there are positive ones, which for an all women's daytime show really shouldn't be the case. You know, I will say this about two. Oh, I just want to add something here, Megan. I think it's extraordinarily noble what you did. And I'm very (laughs) glad for your sake that you are out of there for selfish reasons. However, I wish you had been there at least for for one drop in guest appearance after you left, because um, you were both on the show and elsewhere, a fantastic voice against anti-Semitism. Uh, wherever it arose and how I wish you were on set when Whoopi Goldberg said the Holocaust was about white people fighting white people. You know, that was actually, you know, that was very, very hard for me to see when it happened because my take on media in general is that there's a huge blind spot for anti-Semitism, and it came really naturally to me The any advocacy stuff, which has just come, like I said, organically and naturally, I have come to realize the very unique experience I had growing up with my dad being best friends with Joe Lieberman and his family, the fact that his family is kosher and he's an Orthodox Jew. Like it just was such a norm in my life. We spent 4th of July's together and they were always at our ranch. Like it never felt weird because it was just my normal. So I think I had a, a dog whistle alert for things people would say in a way that other people didn't realize. And I remember it started really subtly, like things at the women's march. We I remember there was a thing about the women's march on the show where they showed us a video when they Linda Sarsour was talking about like BDS. And I was like, what in that blank? Like what? And I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And it like started with that. And as everyone has seen, it's just grown and gotten more horrific and disgusting. And I have always thought that there's a blank spot at the view and everywhere 
with with what's happening it's raging right now i i am petrified for education i don't know where the hell i'm gonna send my kid to school because a big part of this is like i don't want this poison in her brain i don't want this poison in my life i don't want you know anything having to do with palestine and i'm very i'm like a hardcore zionist i was raised by one like is my family values it's where i stand i know who i am full stop like there's no gray there's a few issues that i have no gray and that's one of them and i don't understand the normalizing of this in so many different ways and it was very very hard to see whoopi spout such egregious anti-semitism and then just such you know evil and toxicity i believe if i had said that on camera i would have been fired period and i i think we're giving too many people too many passes i'm not saying she should have been fired I would have made the show do a week at the Holocaust Museum with Holocaust survivors and do a full, taken that opportunity to do a full educate, because I was asked what you would do. And I was like, I would have taken that opportunity and done a full Holocaust education, like, you know, seminar on the show every day because it was so bad. And it's hard to watch. Like, I'm a Baptist Christian from Arizona with a cross tattooed on my wrist. It's not like, you know, I'm not Jewish, but I, I understand. Israel's very deep, sacred and important place in American politics. And then obviously in my faith. And it's really horrific to see how scared so many of my Jewish friends are in so many different spaces. I will say, for whatever this is worth to all of you, I am in the Outer Banks of North Carolina right now. And when we were driving here, we drove by a farmer's market, like an organic farmer's market. And I wanted to stop because obviously everybody loves organic food. And I posted on my Instagram, the place we stopped at had an American flag, an Israel flag, and a giant sign that said like, P farms, we pray for, we are praying for Israel and Ukraine. And I sent it to a bunch of my friends and I was like, I'm in the South. Just so we're clear, like, <laughs> this is not like, you know, whatever. And I do think there's a lot of people in the country and the middle of the country who don't like this, who see what's happening. And by the way, the reason why I really can't get on board with anything with the left ever is because I think they are apologists for anti-Semitism. And I think starting with anti-Semitism historically, as we have seen, it's the canary in the coal mine. Everybody comes next. Women are next. Minorities are next. And this ignoring of it is disgusting and monstrous and shame on all of them, starting with Nancy Pelosi saying that Ilhan Omar like misused her words or misspoke, like go to hell. And I don't have any respect for it. And like I said, I really credit my parents and uh, Senator Lieberman and his wife Hadassah and their family for my really and really strong understanding of anti-Semitism and Israel's like, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast, I say it every, everywhere, um, great importance and, you know, American politics and then, and then my faith. And I also think like if Arizona ends up, if America keeps going to hell and it's just MAGA everywhere, I know it's very hard to go move to Israel, but I'm hoping at some point, maybe I could get a pass and my family could go there if any things really start going to hell. But Thank you very That's much. That's the next stop. Well, after, As a New Jersey resident, getting... I can tell you they're all moving to North Carolina. So there's we're colonizing <laughs> the place. Okay. Well, here's the other major thing, which is after this podcast, you're going to get streets <laughs> and settlements named after you. So righteous <laughs> Gentile Megan McCain, thank you like, so much. It's really, my dad. Like it really was his yeah. influence. Like forever. That's what they keep. They really. My parents talked to me about it at a very young age, and I really took it for granted because it was just 
I was like, oh, great. Like we had conversations and then it was just like, and then when I got older, I was like, nobody talks like that in the same way that you don't say like the N word. Like I was so repulsed by it and I still am, but I think that's why it got so much attention. So I was like, are you out of your mind? Anyway, thank you very much. Well, anyway, <laughs> Megan, I uh, can't, can't, can't thank you enough. This is a uh, very thank unusual you, podcast for us. And I know. I said this is such a weird podcast. For no, you. it's fantastic. <laughs> right. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Thank We're you. We're the box of chocolates. <laughs> so anyway, great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. So for Abe and Noah and the absent Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>